Beloved congregation, the last few services we have focused on this wonderful shepherd, the shepherd of Israel, the shepherd of his people, our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, who in John 10 clearly identifies himself as that shepherd. We have seen the love of this shepherd, the commitment of this shepherd, a shepherd who is committed so that his people shall not want, a shepherd who goes out of his way to meet the need of his sheep, a shepherd who leads us to those green pastures, the green pastures of his word, who leads us to that written word that testifies of him, so that in those scriptures, in those green pastures, as we graze in those pastures, that we might ultimately find him. But who not only feeds us, but also refreshes us, leads us beside the still waters. Last week we saw that this shepherd also restores his sheep, especially when his sheep wander away from him in their foolishness. He goes out of his way to bring them back to him because he knows that his sheep can only prosper if they stay close to him. A shepherd who will not even hesitate to break the legs of his sheep in order to cure them permanently of their tendency to wander away from him but also a shepherd who leads us in the paths of righteousness, the path that is right not by our standards, but the path that is right by His standard, that perfect way, that perfect way that perfectly agrees with God's character and that perfectly agrees with what He has ordained for His children, that perfectly agrees with His ultimate goal to provide for our spiritual well-being, our spiritual growth. Now, we saw last week Sunday evening how there are those times that those paths of righteousness will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. In order for the shepherd to bring his sheep to the grazing grounds of the summer, he would have to lead them through this dark and dangerous valley a valley where the sheep could not see the shepherd, where they could not feel the shepherd, but where they could still hear the voice of the shepherd, and where they would be encouraged that even then they knew their shepherd was with them. They were comforted by the knowledge that their shepherd has a rod and a staff, a rod, a club to ward off enemies and the staff to guide them, to direct them, to pick them up and to lead them even through the valley of the shadow of death. That leads us to our text for this morning in preparation for the Lord's Supper. So let's read again verse 5. Verse 5. There we read God's Word in our text. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So, boys and girls, I hope you have your Bibles open. Let's look at that text. 
Because the three points, again, clearly come from the text. That's why we as ministers give you a theme and points. We try to give you the structure, and we want you to see that it comes from the text. So first of all, what would be the first point? First point would be that he prepares a table. Second point, that he anoints the heads of his people. He anoints it with oil. And thirdly, that he gives us a cup that runs over. And so we see in this passage, again, Jehovah's, or Christ's, who is Jehovah in the flesh, tender care for his sheep. He prepares a table for them, he anoints their heads with oil, and he gives them a cup that runs over. I need to tell you that there is some difference of opinion between commentators whether the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd continues here, or whether the psalmist, whether David, switches to uh, another analogy, namely the analogy of a host who prepares a very delightful meal for his guests. I'm inclined to believe that the analogy continues. I'm inclined to believe that this psalm describes for us the annual cycle in the life of the sheep, which ultimately, and what we'll see next week, ultimately results in the shepherd taking his sheep back from the grazing grounds and literally bringing them back home into the valley, which is what is described in verse 6. Granted, the other analogy of, uh, of an abundant feast provided by the host uh, has also rich implications, but I want to stay with the, the, the sheep-shepherd analogy, and I want to carry it all the way through. And so I believe that this describes, in this verse, this describes how the shepherd would care for us once his sheep had reached those tables, those high plateaus, those grazing grounds for the summer. And I believe there is biblical justification for this. So in your Bible, turn with me again for a moment to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. Now we'll read verses 13 through 15, which clearly allude to this. Ezekiel 34, verse 13. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land, and here it comes, and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. And I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel." I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. You see, congregation, those high plateaus, those grazing grounds in the high of the mountains, they were the best place for the sheep to be during that season. That's where abundant grass and nourishment was to be found. And according to what I've read, what a shepherd would do in anticipation of this he would sometimes go ahead of the sheep, leave them to the care of others, perhaps hirelings, and he would go to those high grazing grounds and he would prepare those grazing grounds for his sheep. Because even though there would be rich pastures there, there would also be dangers there. He wanted to check out and make sure he knew where the animals of prey would be hiding. 
He would be checking those grazing grounds to see if there were any adders lurking in the grass, uh, poisonous snakes, and he would smoke them out and burn them out. In other words, he wanted to make sure that it would be a secure place for his sheep. Because a, a shepherd was so committed to having his sheep be secure, to have them safe, to protect them in any way possible. And what a beautiful picture this is again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because just like the shepherd would literally go to prepare a table for the sheep, to prepare a table for them in the presence of their enemies, because the enemies were never far away from the sheep. Wherever the sheep were, the enemies would be. They would always be circling the flock, those animals of prey. And the vultures and the buzzards would be overhead looking for a weak sheep. And yet the shepherd was confident that after preparing the place, that his sheep would be secure even in the presence of their enemies, that he would be able to feed them in the presence of their enemies. And again, what a, a, a beautiful allusion we have here to the care of the great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep who also has gone out of his way to prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And then, of course, the, the metaphor of a table is in itself very rich. Because, and that's in a sense that's true for us too, but especially in that culture, a table was not only a place where you would gather to eat, but a table was a place of fellowship. It was very important when you gathered for a meal, communion between father and children, between members of the family, or with your friends and your guests, that communion and fellowship was an essential component of such a meal. A congregation, that's the desire of your shepherd. Dear children of God, it is, your, it is his desire this morning not only to bring you to a prepared table, a table that he has prepared for you, but it's a table at which he desires to commune with you on the basis of what is visibly set before us on that table. And so that's why we often refer to this table as the communion table. In other words, everything that happens here is a means to an end. God's ultimate desire is to reveal Himself to His people, even by means of this sacrament. His ultimate desire is to open His heart to us this morning. His desire is to commune with us, and we to commune with Him. That's why Christ has prepared a table for us. A congregation, what you see here is not the result of our initiative, not the result of the initiative of your consistory. No, that table stands here because He has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And that preparation, that preparation required the death of the shepherd. That's what this table reminds us of. The wine and the broken bread points us to the sacrifice of the Savior. 
in order to prepare this table. He allowed himself to be nailed to the accursed cross in order for this to be a communion table, a table in which God can freely commune with his people and we may freely commune with him. He had to be utterly forsaken of his Father. And we can hardly grasp, congregation, what that must have meant to the Savior. A Savior who lived in constant fellowship and communion with his Father. And to be utterly forsaken by him. To cry out in, in holy desperation, if you will, My God, my God, my Father, why, why hast thou forsaken me, the Son of thy love? And the answer to that question is, as we will read again in the form uh, also, so that we might never be forsaken. In other words, all communion, all fellowship was broken off. Christ experienced the very bitter reality of hell itself. And he did that, dear people of God. He did that in your place. He prepared a table for you. He was utterly cut off from all communion with God so that we today, on the basis of that sacrifice, on the basis of his finished work, that we could have communion with the living God. Oh, how this table communicates in a very special way the love of this shepherd. And of course, we have the symbol here of a meal, of a simple Jewish meal. As a matter of fact, we know that Jesus used the elements of the Passover to establish the Lord's Supper. He used the bread of the Passover and the wine of the Passover to institute the New Testament sacrament of the Lord's Supper. A congregation, let me put it very simply. The intent and the purpose of this table, why Christ instituted this, is so that as long as the world lasts, until he comes back in glory, he wants his children regularly to feast upon his sacrifice, to feast upon what he has accomplished. In John 6, verse 55, Christ says where he talks about himself as the bread of life, he said, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. My broken body nourishes, will nourish my people. The fact that my body was broken for them will nourish my people. And my blood, which I shed for their sins, that blood will refresh them. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. That's why Jesus, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, that's why he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so, congregation, and I will repeat this often, the focus is not on us. The focus is not on how I feel. The focus is not on what I have experienced. The focus is not on how well things went in this past week or how poorly they went in this past week. The focus of this table is on him. This do in remembrance of me. And may that be our privilege this morning as we gather at this table, that by faith 
we may feast upon the sacrifice of Christ, that by faith we may eat His body and we may drink His blood, and that so our faith might be strengthened, and that more and that we might once again by renewal be redirected to that one and only sacrifice, that again we might be reminded this is the foundation of our salvation. This is the foundation of our hope. That's why Paul wrote so boldly to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2. He said, I have desired to know nothing else among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And how true it is that He prepares this table in the presence of our enemies. And how often those enemies can be very busy, especially during the week of preparation. How Satan goes out of his way to plague and to torment the people of God. How he goes out of his way to distract us. How he goes out of his way, that liar from the beginning, to blind us for who Christ is, to blind us for his finished work, to blind us for the promises of God. And what strife that can cause in the hearts and lives of God's children. Maybe there are some here who've had a difficult week, who've struggled, who've been deeply troubled. And of course, the devil is an absolute master at reminding us of our sin, a master of pointing to our filthy garments. And now we come to this oasis, this spiritual oasis, which is the Lord's Supper is. And now we see before us the care of your shepherd. He knows how intense that spiritual warfare can be. And so here in his house, he has prepared a table for us, a table in the presence of our enemies to comfort his children. Because this implies, of course, and David, no doubt, when he wrote this, was also thinking of all he had been through, of all his enemies that he had to encounter during his life. And I, as I said, when, we, when I began this series, he probably wrote this at the end of his life. Oh, when he reflected on all that he had been through, then he realized how often his shepherd, Jehovah, had prepared a table for him in the presence of his enemies. Oh, the Lord Jesus, dear people of God, the Lord Jesus knows that we live in a hostile world, an environment that is utterly hostile to the people of God, that is hostile to our spiritual life. And that's why the institution of the Lord's Supper is so very precious. Of course, His normal way to feed us is through His Word. But in the Lord's Supper, He comes so low, He comes so very near to us in order to assure us through this sacrament of His love and of His commitment, of His loving care. And so by means of the sacraments, He wants to lift us above all that happens in this life. And He literally desires to give us a foretaste of heaven itself, a foretaste of that marriage supper of the Lamb. But we need to focus on a few more things. Not only does 
the shepherd, or did the shepherd on a regular basis, every summer, he would prepare a table for his sheep and those high grazing grounds, but he would also anoint their head with oil. And again, I need to be brief here for the sake of the sacrament, but one of the things that would happen on those high grazing grounds in the summer is that those sheep would have flies buzzing around their head, flies that were mean, flies that would bite them. Maybe you have experienced that in the summer when you go to a camping ground. Sometimes those flies can be so annoying, and some of them bite. And apparently that was the case too on those high grazing grounds. And so one of the things the shepherd would do to help his sheep, he would regularly anoint their heads with oil that would heal those bites and would protect them against the flies that would always be buzzing around their heads. We see it in the summer when we see cattle out and about. So we can see there are those times where you can see that the flies are constantly around them. They're constantly whipping their tail, trying to get rid of those flies. And so it would be. And so part of the care that the shepherd would show for his sheep is he would anoint their heads with oil to take care of those flies, just like we use some We use off or we use something else to protect us against mosquitoes and against the flies. And what a picture this is, because so often the devil has his flies that just buzz around our head. And again, the analogy of head is important. In other words, the focus is on our mind. Satan's goal is to confuse us, to confuse our heads, to confuse our minds to distract us from the Word of God. And so the devil can come with those devious insinuations about ourselves. Then we have the flies of of the corruption of our flesh. And maybe you painfully struggled with that indwelling corruption that so often discourages the people of God. And then external temptation. Those are all the flies that can be buzzing around our heads. And so what do we need? What do we need to deal with all of those flies? We need the anointing ministry of the ministry of Christ, of the Spirit of Christ. Because whenever we read about anointing and oil in Scripture... It's always symbolic of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why the priests and the prophets and the kings, they were anointed with oil to indicate that the God who called them to be prophets, priests, and kings would grant them His Spirit to enable them to do what He called them to do. And so here we have a a clear allusion to, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what's very significant, congregation, is that the focus of the Spirit's ministry is on our heads. In other words, His goal is for us to think biblically, to think correctly. The Spirit wants us to understand the Scriptures. The the Spirit wants us to understand the essence of the Word of God. Because there are some who who speak almost in derogatory terms of the mind, as if 
The Christian life excludes the mind, as if the Christian life is only a matter of the heart. And of course, in a sense, that's true. But never apart from the mind. The mind is the gateway to our hearts. That's why we have a written Word of God. God clearly communicates in His Word to our minds. Now, of course, there are those for whom it never goes any further. It just stays in the mind. They have what we call historical knowledge. But, of course, in the life of God's children, that which is communicated to their minds ultimately reaches the heart itself. But the devil knows if he can confuse us about God and His character, if He can confuse us about the gospel and His promises that will impact our hearts and how we function. The devil knows ultimately that he cannot rob God's people of their salvation, that he cannot, but he can rob us of the joy of our salvation. And he does that by confusing us, by distracting us. And the shepherd knows that. And so he anoints our heads with oil over and over again. And at this table, that's what he does. In other words, the whole purpose of this table is to correct our thinking again about him and his finished work. His whole goal is to anoint our heads so that we focus on what he is and what he has said. In Psalm 92 verse 10, we have a a wonderful allusion to this. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. That's what happens here at the Lord's table. Anointed with fresh oil. We need that oil over and over again. 1 John 2.27 But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. You know what else is beautiful about that oil? is when Christ anoints our head with oil, if by His Spirit He corrects our thinking, if by His Spirit He refocuses us on who He is and what He has accomplished and on His precious Word, it will fill our soul with gladness. That's why in Psalm 45 verse 7 we read this, God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Dear child of God, your shepherd wants you to be glad. Your shepherd wants you to rejoice in his salvation. The Lord's Supper is not a funeral. Let me make that clear. The Lord's Supper is not a funeral. And so we should not approach it as a funeral. We should not come with long faces as if we are coming to a funeral. I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not not for a moment suggesting that the Lord's table should be a place of levity. Obviously, it should not. I remember when I was still a student, when I made that statement for the first time. And somebody somebody wrapped me across the knuckles for making that statement that the Lord's Supper is not a funeral. But I stand by that statement. The purpose, the reason Christ gathers us at this table 
is He wants us to rejoice in Him. He wants us to rejoice in His salvation. He wants to anoint our heads with the oil of gladness. Now, sometimes that gladness and that joy is expressed in tears. Sometimes when God's children are filled, when they may receive a taste of that spiritual joy, the tears will stream down their face. It's not like the joy of the world. This is a beautiful joy, a spiritual joy. But the point I try to make, dear congregation, it is your shepherd's desire to anoint you with the oil of gladness, that you may rejoice in him and his salvation. And then finally, David confesses, my cup runneth over. Apparently, often these grazing grounds would not be near any rivers, but there, apparently there would be wells of living water, and a good shepherd would know where those wells would be. And he would have those wooden troughs, those wooden barrels, and he would see to it that those troughs were filled with water, that they would filled, be filled to overflowing. You can just see the picture. The shepherd goes and comes with a full bucket, and he throws it into the troughs, and the water just flows over the sides. Why? Because the shepherd wanted to make sure that not only his sheep would be fed, we saw that earlier, but he wanted to make sure that they would be refreshed, refreshed with living water. But the beautiful point here is that David looked back on his life and he realized that his, his shepherd, his God, time and again had met his needs and met them to overflowing the beautiful analogy here is, is that this shepherd did not just want to give his sheep the minimum, did not just want to give his sheep a little, a few drops, just enough to survive. No, this is a shepherd who wants our cup to run over. This is a shepherd who has made abundant provision. We sang it together, did we not, from Psalm 132. We read in verse 15, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Oh, dear congregation, this shepherd wants you to be satisfied. This shepherd is not a shepherd whose Goal it is to keep you as poor as possible, to keep you as miserable as possible, to give you only the bare minimum. That's not the shepherd of Psalm 23. That's not the shepherd. That's not the host of this table. The host of this table desires to bless you and to bless you abundantly. This host wants your cup to run over. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the word in Greek means they shall be filled to overflowing. This is the Christ of whom Paul writes in Ephesians 3 verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. 
parents, it's unimaginable to you that you would care for your children and you would just give them the bare minimum. Your desire as parents is to bless your children abundantly. This is the desire of your heavenly Father as He gathers you around this table. His desire is to bless you abundantly. His desire is that your cup would run over. But again, in order for us to enjoy that cup that runs over, the broken bread and the shed wine, that cup that we see there that reminds us that in order to provide you with a cup that runs over with the love of God and with the favor of God, in order for you to be able to drink from that cup this morning, your Savior had to drink a cup that was overflowing with the wrath of God. Jesus knew that He had to drink that cup. That was the struggle in Gethsemane. Oh, he saw it coming, and the the enormous weight pressed him down. The enormous weight came down upon him, and he sweat drops of blood. His capillaries burst, burst. And yet, what did he say? Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Dear believer, he knew that He could not be your Savior. He knew He could not provide for you. He knew He could not give you an overflowing cup unless He emptied that cup to its very last drop. That's why He cried, I thirst, I thirst. Your Savior thirsted so that you would not thirst, so that your thirst would be quenched also at his table. So again, all of this points to the cross. The cross is the center of the gospel. The cross is the very center of God's eternal purposes. Without the cross, there would be no table. Without the cross, there would only be wrath. But the cross is the foundation on which God can be the God of His people. It's the foundation on which we can gather round about this table. That's why sinners can take their place at this table. It's all because of the finished work of Christ. And so Christ Himself is ultimately the overflowing fountain of good. Christ Himself is the one of whom John writes in John 1 that out of His fullness we receive grace for grace. Psalm 31 verse 19, Oh, how great is Thy goodness, which Thou hast laid up for them that fear Thee, which Thou hast wrought for them that trust in Thee before the the sons of men. And so it is the desire of Christ that your joy will be full, that you may experience at His table what we read in Psalm 36, verse 8. They shall be, again, listen carefully, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house 
and thou shalt make them drink of the of the river of thy pleasures the river of thy pleasures and in John 50 verse 11 Christ says these things have I spoken unto you and that means through the preaching of his word and the sacrament these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full oh what a precious savior we have and so the host of the table it's his table he has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies this savior desires to anoint our heads with oil the oil of his spirit and this savior wants you to rejoice in him and in him salvation he wants you to be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house all of this is so beautifully expressed in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 open your bibles and i want to conclude with that 2 uh, Corinthians 9 verse 8 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 There we read these beautiful words. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. The congregation, may that be our experience. As we gather round about his table, my dear friend, I realize that my primary focus this morning has been on what this table means to the believer. And if you are not yet a believer, if you are not yet a child of God, I would hope that you would realize how utterly poor and destitute you are. I hope that your heart would be pricked today. You would recognize what God's children have and what you are missing that even the administration of the Lord's Supper would be instrumental to deal with you, to deal with your own soul. Because to, as I've said before, to be unprepared for the Lord's table ultimately means that you are unprepared to meet God. But then even I may tell you this morning that even though your place may not be here, even this table is a visible picture of the gospel of a Savior who is able and willing to save the vilest sinner and to sin and to save him to the uttermost. And I know there are children and young people here who do not yet have a church right. It's my prayer that you too may benefit from what you are witnessing this morning. And the day may come that you too may take your place here at the Lord's table. And so, my dear congregation, the Lord is our shepherd, and therefore we shall not want. Amen.